Anybody else fired up about church this morning? Am I the only one? Yeah. Listen, I'm excited. And you should be excited, especially since you came today, because we are on the front end of this series that I call What Happens to You When You Die. Now, every Easter, what we like to do is we just pull everybody, Facebook, social media, uh, here. We try and get as many responses as we can, and we just ask people, what would you pos- if you could ask any question about culture, uh, Christianity, religion, it, it, no holds barred, whatever it is, if you could ask any question, what would that question be? And then we take those responses and we form a sermon series out of it called You Asked For It. Now we're going to do the You Asked For It series in October, but we had so many questions around this idea of death and heaven and hell and are my pets in heaven and just all these things around this uh this single idea that I thought it would be good for us to do a whole series on what happens to you when you die and is heaven real is is hell for real um, how can we live a legacy here on earth and so you're uh, in the we're starting that today and I'm super excited about it. I, I mean, you picked a great Sunday to be here. Now, right out of the gates, though, we're going to have to agree on something, okay? So even if you're not a Christian or you just came because somebody drug you here, your mom made you come, your wife made you come, whatever it is, if you're watching online, doesn't matter. We're going to have to agree on one thing. Can we all agree on the fact that we're not dead. Can we agree on that? Every, I mean, are we, are we on the same page here? None of us currently are dead. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure we cleared all of that up uh, today because if we're going to talk about what happens to you when you die, I'm not dead. So, how can I really, with integrity, speak on a subject that I have nothing really to say because I've never been dead and you've never been dead. And so you have to, there should be an element of skepticism in your mind when a guy gets up here and says, let's talk about what happens to you when you die. But let me tell you why you should listen to anything I have to say this morning. Because I know someone who has. And he didn't stay dead. So let's listen to that guy. Right? I mean, let's cash in our chips with that dude who rose from the dead. He can tell us exactly what happens to us when we die. And so this entire series, what we're going to do is we're going to explore what Jesus has to say about death and the afterlife and heaven and hell and how you can live your life on this earth in light of the fact that heaven and hell are real. And what's interesting about Jesus is Jesus taught more about those subjects than any other person in the Bible. Most people want to just skip over some of those things, but Jesus had more to say about that than what you could possibly imagine. He spoke clearly, he spoke often, and he spoke with clarity. So, Does that sound reasonable? We're just going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about what happens to us when we die? Okay? All right. A couple of you are still with me. Now, which, since some of you are so agreeable, I know that doesn't always happen, uh, let's agree on one more thing. 
all of you came in here with some sort of agenda that you hope to accomplish in the future. True or false? There's something you want to do either today or this week or this month or this year. Yes? Yes. So for me, this realization occurred on Wednesday. On Thursday of this week, September 1st, opening day of dove hunting season. Yes. Amen. Help me preach this, brother. So uh, I went into Cabela's to get like the hunting license and all. If you've never been dove hunting, can I just tell you, this is, I mean, you have not lived life. You just sit in a lawn chair and wait for those suckers to fly overhead. And then you blast those fools with a shotgun. Like, can life get more amazing? And if you have a good dog, the dog will go get the bird for you. You don't even have to get up. This is the American dream, okay? Hashtag America. Where was I even going with this? Yes. So, I go to Cabela's to get ready for hunting season and get some shotgun shells, the license, and all of that. And as I was walking around, it occurred to me that each one of us in Cabela's had some sort of agenda that we hoped to accomplish maybe that day, maybe that week. Some of us were there buying hunting stuff to go hunting. Some of us were there buying fishing stuff. No rocket scientist, but I'm concluding that they were there to go fishing, which is why they were buying the fishing stuff. There were some other crazy people there buying camping stuff. Why? I have no idea. Maybe they wanted, yeah, maybe to go camping. Good job, buddy. I I think they were trying to answer this what happens to you when you die question a little earlier than what I wanted to, right? I mean, because camping is crazy. Anyway, nonetheless, we each had plans that did not include dying. Yet here's what else happened to me this week, past two weeks. 36-year-old mother of two dies of cancer. 52-year-old dad hiking with his family in Colorado out of nowhere. Drops dead. 35-year-old mother of four. She had a brain tumor removed the size of an orange. Stage three cancer. She's going to have to go in to chemotherapy and radiation. Make no mistake. Death does not care what's on your agenda. Death does not care what plans you have. Death is indiscriminate. doesn't matter your age, your race, your political preference, how you voted in the last election, your sexual preference. Death does not care. Furthermore, we're all going to die. Each and every one of us at some point are going to die. Unfortunately, even though we know that, we're still not sure what to do with death. When people begin to die, we put them in retirement homes or care centers or hospitals, just try and get them as far out of sight as possible to make death seem not so deadly. In the meantime, We tend to ignore them so we can fight our own battle against death, whether that be through yoga or working out or 
eating vegan or whatever it is for you, we're all battling this idea that at some point we're going to die. Some people even go so far as to get themselves cryogenically frozen so that if they do die, they get put in this chamber, and if science catches up to them, maybe one day they can cure their disease that they had or whatever and raise them from the dead, but inevitably, death comes for us all. That being said, let me ask you this question, a very important question. Who are you going to believe when you want to answer the question, what happens to you when you're going to die? Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the naturalists who believe that you do not have a soul. You're just a body existing. And when you die, you simply cease to exist. There's no life after death. So you better live it up as much as possible here on earth because this is as close to heaven as you're going to get. You're going to believe them, which just to be honest, if you believe that, how do you explain that to somebody who lived through the Holocaust? How do you explain that to somebody who's been abused? How do you explain that to anybody who suffered here on this earth? That this is all there is. Sorry for your luck. I mean, there's a great article in the Washington Post published just a few weeks ago that I read that talked about how atheists are abandoning this position that you just cease to exist because none of them can rectify in their own mind that this earth is all there is. There's too much evil. If this was all there is, then pity us all. That's what they said. Truth is, this isn't all there is. But who are you going to believe? You could believe them. You could also choose to believe the universalists who teach that in the end, all paths lead to heaven. Almost everyone will end up there. At best, hell will be sparsely populated. Universally, uh, universalists believe that all religions lead to God. All paths end in salvation. The Bible does not teach that. But there is a pseudo-Christian version of this. It's a deceptive, false version of Christianity. Guises itself under the idea of Jesus and salvation, but it leads to people, it leads people to believe that there's an opportunity for salvation after death, that eventually you'll meet Jesus when you die, and because you can't resist his saving grace, eventually you'll be saved, and your hearts will change. It's not true, I'll show that to some of you, but some people will be inclined to believe that. You could also choose to believe the reincarnationists who believe that when you die, you come back to life, you live multiple successive lives, you die and return, die and return, die and return. You have to pay off this karmic debt to the God or gods of the universe. So it's like some jacked up version of Groundhog Day, okay? It's like uh, Hindus and uh, Buddhists, that's what they believe. If you want to get super specific, Buddhism believes in this eightfold path that will lead you to nirvana. And the truth is, is nirvana is when you cease to exist. That's considered nirvana. Most people don't realize that, but that's what is happening within Buddhism. My point is, do you want to believe that? That you come back over and over. Depending how you live, you might come back as a, like a slug or an earthworm or something. Who knows? But you could 
If you don't want to believe that, you can decide to believe the Catholics. Now, if you're here this morning Catholic, I'm not going to pick on you. I'm just telling you what Catholics believe, and that's in something called purgatory. You could believe in purgatory. The, that word, for the record, is nowhere in your Bible. But purgatory is when you die, and you're going to suffer for a little while in purgatory to finish this saving work that maybe you didn't get to finish on earth. So you go to purgatory, you have to suffer for a little while, and then you'll eventually go to heaven. Or the, or the good folks here on earth, they can actually pray you out of purgatory. That's what the Catholics believe. You want to believe that. Finally, you could choose to believe the Muslims. Muslims believe that when you die, you get to go stand before Allah. Not the Trinitarian God of the Bible, but Allah. And when you stand before him, he'll judge you based on your works. You can imagine scales. There's good and bad. And you stand on the good side and you hope it raises it up. And that the bad side, like you did more good than bad. I don't know about you all, but my scales are tipped in the wrong direction. I don't think I've done enough good in my life to outweigh all those years of bad. So I don't want to stand before that judgment throne. I can promise you that. In the end, you could believe any one of those things. Or my hope, and my hope through this series, is that you'll choose to believe what Jesus taught. And what Jesus has to say is that when you die, you will either go to a place called heaven or a place called hell. Both are real, and we're going to talk about them both extensively in the next two weeks. But what determines where you go is one thing and one thing only. Did you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus? That's what determines where you go. Check it out. I'll show you in Scripture. That's John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Where you spend eternity is determined by how you answer the question, is Jesus really the Son of God? Do you trust that he came to this earth and died a death that was meant for you, but eventually rose from the dead, thereby conquering sin and death? Do you believe that only through his death, burial, and resurrection can you be forgiven? Have you repented of your sin? Do you trust and acknowledge that there is only one true God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit? If so, there's a good possibility that you're saved. I don't want to be presumptuous. I just want to tell you what the Bible says. And Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So all that being said, I want to talk to you today on the reality of an eternity. Because nobody argues that death is coming for you. All religions agree. At some point, you are going to die. Where the disagreement happens, and it's a vast disagreement, is that what happens after that. So before we talk about heaven and hell, I want to talk about the reality that there is a life after death. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, 
There's two letters in your Bible written to a church in Corinth. They're located kind of towards the back of your Bible. They're uh, labeled 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You want to make sure you're in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 because 1st Corinthians chapter 5 is about a a kid sleeping with his stepmom. That's going to be super confusing to our conversation today, right? I mean, Bible's crazy, people. I mean, you should all should read it sometime. I mean, it's jacked up some stuff in there. But 2nd Corinthians 5 is what you want. Right there in verse 1. It reads, For we know, for we know, that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Did you know that? That there is an eternal house for you in heaven, not built by human hands. Hold that thought, because we're going to come back to that. But I want to chat a little bit about this idea of a tent. Even brought a little tent for us today. The guy who wrote this, his name's Paul, says, We live in an earthly home. Our earthly home is a tent. In heaven, there's a building, but on earth, you have a tent. Now, it's no secret, if you've been here a while, I'm not much of a camper, Okay? Don't really enjoy camping, okay? I like air conditioning, all right? There, I mean, said it. Yeah, we like air conditioning in my house. So don't pretend like you don't either, because there are a couple Sundays in here where the AC didn't work. Y'all were just as mad about it as I was, okay? So can't pretend like you're some pioneer on the plains camping all the time, because all of us like the old AC. But I I did go camping once uh, in junior high-ish age. Felt like I was suffocating to death. You can't open the doors and the windows because you'll get the Zika or like the West Nile or something. So I just prefer the AC and no bugs. So I'm not much of a camper. Don't really enjoy. If you all want to go pretend to be homeless with your family, more power to you, okay? I'm just saying me and my house, you know, we'll, we'll go get the AC in the hotel or, or camper, okay, not a tent. Nonetheless, had a friend of mine bring a tent so that we could explore this picture of your body being a tent. Because here's what I know about tents. Tents are not super sturdy, right? Tents, if you're in there, you got food. A grizzly bear is getting in there to get your food. A tent is not sturdy. It will blow away in the wind. It will get soaking wet in the rain. It's temporary. Tents don't last very long. Tents are fragile. None of you went on vacation and saw the world's oldest tent. It's because it doesn't exist. Tents fly away. Tents burn down. Tents get soaked and moldy and you get allergies and it's just a disaster. In my research, I found out that buildings, if built correctly, they last a long time. Y'all know what the oldest building in the world is? Megalithic temples built 6,000 
years ago. Let that sink in. 6,000 years and the building is still standing. How old's your house? Maybe a hundred years, right? America is what? 300-ish almost years old? Ain't nobody got 6,000-year-old house or a building. But buildings stand the test of time. Your tent, it doesn't. It's fragile. breaks down. You got to patch that mug up sometimes. Got to glue it back together. Tents will not last an eternity. But there's an eternal building that God has promised those who believe in him. Let's keep reading in 2 Corinthians. Verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. If you're over age 30, you can relate to this text because our bodies groan. They are burdened while we are in this tent. How many of y'all have ever woke up injured? Like you went to bed fine, and then you woke up, and you couldn't move. Like what happened? You were just in bed. Your body is temporary. It's a tent. It doesn't last forever. That's what the Bible means when we are grown. We are burdened. If you've ever done like some remodeling or some yard work, worked hard for a few hours, and that next day you just feel that soreness. The other week I tried to go play basketball at Newton at the rec center. Some guys still get together and play noon ball. And they started the game almost right away when I showed up. I was the 10th guy. So we got out there and I tried to my move. My body was like, nope, ain't doing that. Should have warmed up, jerk, right? Should have done some stretching, old man can't do those things anymore. I was, I was joking with the guy. I was like, I remember we could just show up and play. It's not the case anymore. Our, bur- our bodies grown. We're burdened. Just for the record, th- there's no red lights here. I am this sunburned, okay? Some guy came in this morning. He's like, hey, your sunburn looks good. Oh, thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. But why? Because our bodies grown. We're burdened by the fact that these are just temporary things. But watch this. This is crazy. Y'all see this. Reread verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. That's the building that we are promised. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Swallowed up by life. The old saying is, is that when you die, you get swallowed up by death. But that's not the case with God. You get swallowed up by life. Eternity is a reality. You get swallowed up by life when you believe in Jesus. You're trading the mortal for the eternal. 
How do you know, pastor? Look at the very next verse. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, to live eternally, he is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Eternity is a guarantee. Verse 6, therefore we are always confident and know, it's our word again, that as long as we are at home in the tent, the body, when we're in this tent, we are what? We are far away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. That's how I know. That's how I can confidently speak to you today that eternity is a reality. The reason Paul can confidently write this letter to us about what happens to us when we die, because God has guaranteed us what is to come. He sealed it within us from the Holy Spirit that one day you will raise from the dead. I'm not hoping for anything. I've banked my life on this fact, that God has prepared an eternal building for me. I get to trade in this tent, and it's going to last forever, forever, forever. Y'all still with me? Forever. You don't have to fear death. Death has been defeated. Told you, I'm fired up this morning. Y'all need to say something back to me today. Help me preach this because you don't have to fear death. Eternity is a reality. A couple thoughts I want you to understand. You might want to write some of these down. Kid, if you write this down, bring your uh, sermon notes back to me. We're going to give you a snack. You can't beat that. Number one, death is a tragic consequence of sin. Death is a tragic consequence of sin. This is not how God designed the world to work. Death was not the plan. God created man and woman woman in Genesis 2.15 to live forever. Here's the passage. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Implication is, if you don't eat of the fruit, you're never going to die. If you eat of the fruit, then you're going to die. In other words, we were created for eternal community with God. That was the plan. Eternity is a reality then, and it's a reality now. But what happened? Adam and Eve couldn't resist. They ate the fruit. They couldn't resist temptation. Like promised, death then enters the picture. Look at how Romans 5 says this, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, again, death wasn't part of the plan, death came through Sin, so death spread to all men because all men have sinned. So you can see, death was not God's initial plan for us as humanity. Now, the potential for death was there. We see that. All we had to do was resist temptation, but it didn't happen. So now death enters 
the picture, enters the world, which is key, particularly for Christians. Obviously, we're going to talk about in our time together the fact that we've conquered death, that there's nothing to fear. But that does not mean death in and of itself has to be celebrated. Death is a tragic consequence of sin. And sin in our lives and sin in this world. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Why? Because his friend died. He's hurt. Just like we are hurt when our loved ones die. So if Chris, as Christians, we don't have to love funerals. You can mourn, and that's okay, because we were created for life. It's frustrating when people die. And yes, praise God that one day we will get to see those loved ones again in heaven, assuming they were believers in Jesus. But that doesn't mean you have to be okay with them dying. You just can't allow yourself to stay in that dark spot. And why? Because number two, death is a tool of Satan. Death is a tool of Satan. Most people don't uh, realize this, but look at this Hebrews 2.14 passage. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that's Jesus, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This describes our enemy, the devil, as being the one who has the power of death. But don't miss those last two words. What's the devil's goal? Lifelong slavery. That's what the devil wants for your life. This is why I'm so passionate about you realizing God is not against your enjoyment and your fun. God's not trying to keep anything from you. He's trying to get you to a place of freedom. So yes, there are things you shouldn't do in life. But that's because those things lead to lifelong slavery. Man, I'm fired up. Nobody's talking to me today. Trying to preach. The devil wants you to be enslaved. It goes back to this idea in our conversation of mourning. That's why you can't be trapped in this place of despair because death is a tool of Satan. Here's what else I want you to know. Number three, death is a consequence of sin, but it's not a punishment for your sin. It's a consequence of sin, but it's not a punishment because you have sinned. Jesus makes this exact point in Luke 13. He references two groups of people who died unexpectedly and tragically. Maybe you know some people who have had the same thing happen. The passage says, About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Where was Jesus from? Galilee. Think he knew these people? Absolutely. 
Think he was hurt by the fact that they were murdered? Absolutely. Number two, verse two. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Meaning, is that why they died? No, not at all, verse three. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Verse four. What about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Jesus is saying these people died. It was tragic. It was unexpected. It was surprising. But it wasn't because they sinned. It wasn't a punishment for sin. It's because death is a tool of Satan. Because sins enter this world, tragic things are going to happen. Millions upon millions of amazing Christian people have died throughout our history. 150,000 people will die today. Do the math. How many people just in the time we've been in here this morning because of tornadoes, cyclones, earthquakes, heart attacks, brain clots, anything, any number of things. None of those people woke up that morning saying, today is going to be the day. It's my last. The reality is because death is a consequence of sin, people will die tragically and unexpectedly. But it's not a punishment for sin. Notice how Jesus always connected this back to this idea, though, of repenting. That that's Jesus' plan for your life, to be in a relationship with him. Get sin out of your life. Get more of Jesus into your life. He always goes back to that. Because he doesn't have a desire that any of us should perish. He's patient, as First Peter talks about. Here's the last thing you need to see. Number four, death can be physical and spiritual. Physical and spiritual. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus again. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. See, there's a difference between bodily death, spiritual death. There's also a difference between your body and your soul. On the one hand, the Bible talks about physical death, which we all know is going to happen. Nobody debates that. But then it also talks about a spiritual separation from God. We'll talk about this more when we get to the hell week. But Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who uh, sins shall die. This is God talking. Continues in verse 21. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins, that's what that word repent means, to turn away, change your direction, turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Now, that's not talking about a physical death. As we all know, we're going to die. It's talking about spiritual death, separation from God. Last verse I want to share with you here. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Here's what I want you to write down. Either death will destroy you or Jesus will destroy death for you. Either death is going to destroy you 
or Jesus is going to destroy death for you. I want to leave you this morning with a picture in your mind. So if you forget everything I say, you're not going to forget this because here's what it is. Your body is a tent. Your physical body. Inside your body, there's a soul. When you die, this is my physical body. I groan. I'm hurt. Right? You die. Your soul leaves your body. Not just a body. Your soul with a body. Your soul leaves its tent. And it's going to stand before God. And he's either going to say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. Where he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Because I never knew you. Scariest passage in all of Scripture, Matthew 7. And they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? They'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I don't know about you, but I've never done any mighty works. Never cast out a demon. But I'm on this team. You know why? Absolutely. Jesus has made me new. He's cleansed me from my sin. That's what grace is. I didn't deserve this. I told you all, I, if I'm standing before and getting judged, my, my scale is lopsided. But I know that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on a cross and all my sins were forgiven. Past, present, and future. And when I get to heaven, he's going to say, your name's written in the book of life. My hope is that I can see every one of you there with me. It doesn't mean I want to die, and it doesn't mean any of you want to die. I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. I want to see the type of man my son becomes. But this is so much bigger. This is your life. A building, not a tent. The Bible says just confess and believe. I want to give you each an opportunity to do that. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just want to confess and believe and have that assurance of salvation, I'd invite you to pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I haven't kept all the rules. But I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth 
that he died on a cross. But three days later, rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me new. Help me as I live this new life for you. God, thank you for that life. I thank you for all the lives here this morning. God, we know that not, we're not just bodies with a soul. We are souls with a body, and our body is temporary. We want to maximize our time on this earth. God, give us opportunities to spread your gospel in ways that we never thought imaginable. Help us live for you. And when we mess up, because we all do, help us to run back to you. Continually change us, transform us into the image of your son. So that on that beautiful day when you return, we can all stand before you, praise your glorious name. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the gift of salvation. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.